The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell joining us to discuss the Latino vote in the midterm elections with all of the nuance. Paula Ramos, the correspondent for Vice News, also a contributor to MSNBC and Telemundo. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Good morning, Z. <laughs> so you wrote a great piece in Vogue, Vogue.com. Um, about the Latino vote and the midterm elections. And this is a really important analysis, and I really haven't seen it elsewhere, so I really wanted to um, break it down for our listeners at home today. Um, how, what, what happened, <laughs> I guess, is the, this the first question. What happened in the midterm elections with Latino voters? I mean, how is it yeah. different than we might assume in terms of how they right. voted? So I think I think there's there's two stories there, right? And I think that's sort of the key when when thinking about this voting block, um, understanding that two stories can exist at the same time, right? So the story that's on the surface is that yes, Latino voters continue to overwhelmingly vote for Democrats. Latinos were key in stopping that you know seeming red wave that was coming. We saw how important Latino voters were, um, specifically in Nevada. We saw it in Arizona. We saw it in Pennsylvania. So that's sort of the story that's catching everyone's eyes. Then there's the other story, which is also that Republicans did make inroads with Latino voters. Um, they made huge inroads in a place like Florida, obviously. Um, for the very first time, Governor Ron DeSantis was able to flip the Latino vote in Miami-Dade County, which is where I grew up. Um, he did something that you know no Republican a gubernatorial candidate has done in over a decade, which is win Latino voters in the majority minority Miami-Dade County. He did that in South Texas. Yes, Democrats won, but you start to see a lot of these, you know, Republican candidates like Myra Flores in the southern border um, also making inroads, right? You know, having really, really good performances. And so I think it's important, as usual, to like to understand the nuance because, yes, Democrats should be celebrating. Yes, there's a lot to be um, happy about. But if you lose sight of the game, you know, and if you lose sight of the way that these voters are changing, even if they're small inroads, um, you know, you. I think a lot can change in the next four years. I think that's such interesting analysis because, you know, I I like how you sort of set it up. There there are two stories that can be true at the same time, even mm-hmm. if they seem on the surface like they are contradictory. Like, you know, Democrats are having success um, in turning out exactly. Latino voters. Um, I think in part, you is it because of just the racist rhetoric? I mean, is that part of the reason? And then there's nuance underneath that as to, you know, why some of some of the voters are more conservative. I mean, I feel like as a black person, I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. you know, the racism seems like the obvious reason, but there could be others. Right. That we're missing. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, I think the the, the first story, which is the, the story on the surface, is that the majority of Latinos at the end of the day, rejected the notion of, 
you know, this country becoming more anti-democratic, right? These are families, these are the descendants of immigrants that fled their countries, mm-hmm. very much fleeing that, you know, fleeing a country that would soon, um, and that is becoming, um, you know, very, a, a very scary place that reminds them of, of, you know, the violence in Mexico, the political mm-hmm. violence in Mexico, that reminds them of corruption in Cuba, that reminds them of, you know, corruption in Venezuela. So I think, I think when it came to understand what was happening, they saw it very clearly and they rejected that. Um, there were many Latinos that were also, I, I believe, and I saw them and I spoke to a lot of them that were dancing with the idea of switching parties for the very first time, right? Maybe some were um, curious about conservative values. Uh, maybe some were, you know, closeted Republicans, which I, which I, I, I've met many of them that for, for, you know, decades and, and since they were born, they were told that they had to over the Democratic Party, but perhaps, you know, in their hearts, um, they were more conservative than what they wanted to tell people. But I think when it came to giving those people votes, um, when it came to voting for some Republicans that were so close to Trump, um, that's where they drew the line. You know? And they said, well, I'm not going to do it this time. But then to, to your question, like, who are those Latinos that are starting to, to switch parties? Um, I think there, there's like different stories to be told in different states. You have a place like Florida where suddenly, you know, the whole rhetoric of communism and socialism is so ingrained in so many Latino voters that all Demo- all Republicans had to do was couple that with different things, couple that with the culture wars, couple that with the Don't Say Gay Bill, couple that um, with CRT, right? And then suddenly all these different culture wars don't just become about the issues, it becomes about the infiltration of communism. And that resonates with Latino voters in Florida. When you go to South Texas, it's more about, you know, conservative values. It's about religion. It's about abortion. Um, It's, as I said, about this idea that, like, perhaps many feel um, that they're simply more, you know, conservative than not. And evangelical churches played a really big role in South Texas. So I think different states will give you a different taste um, of, of what's making some question whether or not they're lifelong Democrats. That is so fascinating. I mean, and also you mentioned DeSantis and Abbott making inroads and DeSantis doing, you know, things that Republicans haven't been able to do. And that makes me think of the recent news about the people. I don't even Mm -hmm. like to call them migrants because I think that is even dehumanizing in a lot of ways. But Mm -hmm. the people that DeSantis and Abbott put on buses and trains and planes and shipped to other states. I mean, that on the surface, that feels like a story that would turn off Latino voters in Texas and in Florida, but that didn't happen. Well, so so two as usual. I feel like this is like two stories. No, so so yes, Governor DeSantis made inroads, but interestingly, Governor Abbott didn't. Right, like he 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 was pretty stable. He didn't really make um, any any inroads with Latino voters compared to twenty twenty. Even though it's interesting, I was actually. Um, at his watch party on election night. And where did he have his watch party? He had it in McAllen, Texas, right? He had it steps away from the U.S.-Mexico border. All, you know, all this shows you is that Republicans are continuing to see a border security as their, you know, as their brand. Uh, but so, so the interesting thing is, is in a place like Florida, um, a place where there are, you know, as we know, millions and millions of, of descendants of immigrants um, after Governor DeSantis did that, you know, cruel political stunt where he shipped, you know, all these human beings and asylum seekers, mostly Venezuelans, um, after he did that, he improved his margins with Latino voters. And specifically, 
where you see that improvement is specifically among those Latinos that were born outside of the U.S. And so we can get into like, you know, why that resonates. We can get into like, is that a reflection of assimilation? Is that a reflection of this idea that, and we've talked about this, Z, like, you know, mm-hmm. is, is that proximity to whiteness, you know, something that makes you reject the other so much? There, there's so many ways to discuss that. Um, but, we, but we have to understand that like, it didn't backfire. And I remember thinking like, man, after he does this, like, even if you're the most conservative, like Trump, Latino supporter, like you have to feel something. No, you have to be against that. Like these are these are people that have very similar stories like yours. Um, and that wasn't the case. So there's, you know, I think there's 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 this perhaps like because Florida went so wrong for Democrats, I feel like many people feel like that's a lost cause. Um, but I, I kind of refuse to, to think about it that way because yeah. I do think that it's a messaging question. I do think that we just have to do a better story at like, as you said, like re-injecting the humanity in these stories and making a lot of these like Cuban Americans and Venezuelan voters that perhaps are now Trump supporters, like how do we get them to feel like, look, that was you maybe 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago? Well, I mean, it it literally was in, in so many cases. Yeah. And I think it, it's, it's man, I, I, I just can't imagine having like gone through an immigrant experience or like that be my story and then look at other people going through the same thing because again it, as you mentioned it's asylum seekers it's not you know mm-hmm. the basically the conservative media infrastructure would have you believe that all of those people exactly. were like gang members or some sort of criminals but they were asylum seekers not breaking any laws just trying to keep themselves and their children and their families safe that's exactly right. I mean, there you said it, and like that's that's the way you know. My mother came from Cuba. My grandparents came from Cuba. My dad came from Mexico. Like all with different stories, but all with the same story of of everyone else that's coming behind them, which is you come to this country because you believe that this will give you better opportunities than when you leave behind. You no, know, my parents had a choice, but millions of people do not have that choice. You no, know, you you do it because you have to. Um, but I think you know, where Republicans have done a very good job in a very dangerous way is in creating such fear mongering, right, about what's happening at the southern border um, and creating truly like lies about this idea that this country is being invaded, right? And so any anytime we see those images, um, we think of an invasion, right? We think that we're being attacked. We think that someone else is going to take something away from us. No, it's the grievance politics. It's 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 you know that strike of fear, and that that works. It, it works, and it's it's ugly. It's contagious, um, and it makes our own people you know turn against ourselves. It's a, it's a sad thing, but I think it's important that we just openly talk about it. Now, one of the things you mentioned yeah. is, and in, in some of the. Um, definitely down in Florida, but in also other parts of the country, I feel like the descent to authoritarianism post-insurrection mm-hmm. also had an impact on Latino voters, because I, I can imagine a scenario in which you 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 fled a dictatorship or some sort of authoritarian exactly. government um, to come here to America, and then you're watching on television people attack the United States Capitol to keep the president in power. I mean, talk a bit about how the insurrection impacted Latino voters because I feel like that's not a conversation that I've ever even heard anywhere. <laughs> so I want to have it. No, 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 no. I mean, I think I, I think you just laid it out perfectly. I think you know when specifically when 
when people talk about, you know, the, the trauma of the past, the trauma of communism, no socialism, why, why there's so much fear around that is precisely because of what you said. People are fleeing authoritarian figures, you know? And if it's not authoritarian figures, they're fleeing some form of political violence. And if it's not, if, if it's not that, they're fleeing some form of mis and disinformation. And all of those elements suddenly became a reality in the United States, right? And that is completely unthinkable. And my dad and I talk about this all the time, right? Like when January 6th happened, we were like, genuinely, like th this is exactly the scenario that as, you know, an immigrant, as Latinos, you would never expect in the United States of America. This is that that's exactly what you flee from. And so I think those images, um, that constant then rhetoric, the constant disinformation, the constant denial, um, ended up being what gave, as I said, many Latino voters that perhaps voted for Trump in 2020. Um, it made them question it one more time, right? Is, is this the road that we want to go through? Because there's one thing about, you know, being enamored by Trump. There's one thing about like what, you know, you know, putting the racism aside, but when you see it in real life, mm -hmm. um, and when you, when you see that danger just growing and growing and growing, as I said, like I think, I think that was, I think that was where where people like drew the line. I I I can't even imagine what it must have felt like in that moment to to have that in your family background and then watch that on television. I think, I mean, as a Black American, I was like, mm -hmm. okay, um, you know, <laughs> like when back in 2016 when we were like maybe hypothesizing the worst case yeah. scenarios. I had not. I had not gone this far. I had not gone um, attack on capital far <laughs> um, in terms exactly. of my worst case scenario. So like even for me, it was like, whoa. But if you fled authoritarianism and then you're watching something that looked looks like something you may have seen growing up, like a military coup. Exactly. I mean, it was basically like an attempted coup we were watching, a violent insurrection. And so that just had the visceral response folks must have had um has to be really deep one of the the questions i also have for you is how abortion and the decision in dobbs may have factored in in this election cycle because i think perhaps the assumption is is that latino voters are catholic there and therefore right. are pro-life but i think it's a lot more complicated particularly because of the impact of um the restrictions of of, um, on abortion and contraception on latinas so Talk a bit about how the Dobbs decision factored in among all of these other things, obviously. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember, Ziggy, when we were working in the, um, in, the, in, in the campaign in 2016, one of the things that they used to tell us was, you know, when you're talking to Latinas, perhaps in like South Texas, um, when you're talking to older Latinas, try not say the word aborto. Right. Like try and refrain from that. And I remember I remember right vividly being like, all right, like if we're, if we're going to be talking to older Latinos, like let's let's not let's let's talk about this in a different way. Um, I remember also going on like Telemundo, right? It's it's the Spanish language network. Mm -hmm. And I remember also this, you know, some some directions from the superiors like back in the day when they would tell us, don't say the word aborto on air. You don't want to scare people. And it, it turns out um, we were all wrong. You know, it turns out that we were all playing into this taboo um, and into this like completely erroneous notion that, you know, Latinos are scared to talk about abortion and the Latinos don't support, um, you know, reproductive justice. And it turns out that once Roe v. Wade happened, uh, suddenly abortion became, for the very first time, one of the top three issues 
for Latino voters. And that that's new, right? It's typically been the economy. It's typically been healthcare. It's been immigration. But abortion has never been one of the top issues. And that became a top issue. And I think to your point, there's a difference between, you know, yes, there's so many Latinos that are Catholic, but they also believe in social justice, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can be you can be a Catholic and you, you can be against even, you know, abortion, but you don't want that you know, you don't want to take that choice from someone else. And I think that's, you know, the, the the key nuance here is that you can be religious, but you're also pro, like, democratic ideals, knowing you're pro-equality and you're pro-social justice. And I think that's true for so many Latino voters. Um, I, I spent a lot of time at the border. I spent a lot of time following a Republican candidate whose name was Myra Flores. And she believed and she was completely convinced that her you know, ex extreme visions on abortion would get her the Latino voters that she needed to succeed. And she was convinced. And I followed her for, for months. And it turns out, again, she was wrong. And she completely underestimated her own constituents who, yes, many perhaps were conservative. Um, many, you know, many b believed, you know, didn't believe in, 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 you know, marriage equality. They didn't believe in a lot of things. But when it came to this issue, she got it wrong. She completely got it wrong. And she lost. So fascinating. And I feel like there's just not enough conversation about these nuances. And so I'm so happy that we're having this conversation. Okay, so let's yeah. talk about President Biden, because I think there there are certain promises that he made during the campaign in 2020, um, some mm -hmm. that he kept and some that he did not on on many of the issues the Latino voters care about. So let's talk about DACA and and mm -hmm. any of the immigration promises that Biden made kept versus broken how did those how did that factor in to the midterms if at all i mean maybe folks were like okay it's only been two years i'm not necessarily casting my ballot for this reason but how much did immigration specific policies come up in exit polling and in some of the analysis and and research you've done post midterms yeah i mean it wasn't like of course immigration is always important but it wasn't it wasn't a, a top issue and yes, you know, we, we should hold the Biden administration accountable, but but th th this has been years in the making, right? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, one of the conversations I had in Nevada, I was talking to an organizer there just a week before the election. Um, she was organizing and, and, and getting people to vote for Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. And and I, I, I talk about this in the piece and, and we were talking and, and, you know, she was like knocking on doors, um, but she told me that, she felt a little bit defeated and helpless because, you know, this was perhaps like the 10th time that Democrats had promised her um, some form of immigration, you know, relief and some some form of promises. And, and, and it didn't happen. And so I think that's the key there. Right. When you're talking about states like Nevada and Arizona, immigration is personal. Right. They have one of the highest rates of mixed status families. Um, and so this is this is the reality every single day. And so I think this is a time not just for the Biden administration, but for the senator, you know, Cortez Masters of the world, um, for the Markellys of the world, um, for a lot of these Democratic senators to actually follow through um, and try everything they can to ensure that during this lame duck session, something happens. And I think, you know, you can be pessimistic about it and perhaps they won't have enough votes to get it through in the next month, um, but you have to make it a priority. You know, it has to be one of the top issues as everyone's like covering in the media what's going to happen. It has to be because there are, you know, 
hundreds and thousands of dreamers in this moment that for over 10 years have been, you know, living and, you know, studying and working in this country under DACA. And it's never been more uncertain for them. You no, know? like it's, it's, it's truly has never been more uncertain. So it's, it's almost we're at this place where it's like now or never. Mm. I mean, it's so fascinating to think about how um, some of these other issues sort of trumped, for lack of a better term, um, mm-hmm. abortion in this particular cycle or trumped or abortion trumped immigration and some of these other policies in this particular cycle, but that that's still top of mind and Mark Kelly and other Democrats in these states. Uh, you better keep yeah. that in mind when you're making a message. Okay, so you talked a bit about how Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, the Latino vote in these states, I mean, these elections were super, super close. So when we're talking about the fact that, like, Republicans may have gained a point um, and Latino voters and Democrats mm-hmm. are still strong, um, that, you know, we're talking about the margins in many cases. Like, the, yeah. this this electorate makes the difference how how will it factor into the georgia special election because obviously that is a week and a half out thousands of people showed up on saturday on the first day of early voting it feels like the latino vote in georgia is also an undercovered topic in terms of how that could turn out because i think that their 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 vote share it could be determinative in terms of whether or not democrats have a 50 or a 51 (laughs) Completely. I mean, and, and we, we have the case study out there, like Florida is an example of what happens when you don't turn out the machine, right? When you when you don't invest, when you don't do the messaging right. Um, Nevada and Arizona are, are the perfect example, specifically Nevada, right? It's 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 the Harry Reid coalition. Like that is an example of what happens um, when the coalition does come together. Um, as you said, though, it wasn't, you know, it, it, the, the turnout numbers weren't the best, but they did turn out. And so I think the legacy of Stacey Abrams is that, that she's, she's already told us and she's already showed us that if you nod to the coalition, um, if you nod to Latino voters, to Black folks, to Native American folks, like change can happen and good results can happen. And so I think I have every faith in the organizers on the ground. Um, there's incredible Latino organizers on the ground. They did it once. Um, there's no reason to believe they're not going to do it again. But I think it comes down to like those those organizers. So um, I, I, as you said, I mean, it's going to come down to Latino voters. And what's one of the main <laughs> issues in front of us today? Um, it is the issue of abortion now, right? And so there's, I, I believe that that's going to, you know, end up pushing out a lot of families there. I, I mean, I think that it's fascinating to see um how the impact of organizing in real time i i was doing field pitches like every morning on the show because i'm like mm-hmm. okay so if you're at home and you're feeling it all anxious like there is a way you can channel your anxiety into something <laughs> exactly which is to become an organizer um because we're trying to save yeah. democracy here that's 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 where we're at i mean the and other everyone can I'm, do that yeah oh everybody every every single person can do that at home while you're watching netflix tonight even um my last <laughs> my last question in the last three minutes here um, is about how how the youth vote, how we should talk about the youth vote. Because I also think that two things are true. There was a historic mm-hmm. youth turnout, and Latinos are a big part of that <laughs> because because yeah. of the median age of even the average, I think it's mm-hmm. the average Latino in Texas is, what, 18? Is that right? Isn't it it's, I don't know exactly, but it's it's super young. I mean, th- this just just for everyone to know, we are the youngest demographic in the country like the youngest so that's a better way to say it the youngest demographic in the country so when i see something like oh historic youth turnout i'm thinking immediately 
that probably mm -hmm. is a lot of Latino, young Latino voters. So talk a bit about how young Latino voters are, are factoring in in this moment where clearly, clearly they're having um, a determinative impact on election outcomes. Yeah, I think that for me, the best place to see that is through a place like Arizona, right? Because in Arizona, you have um, a lot of young Latino voters that grew up uh, from, you know, for many years under like Republican control. They grew up under the years of like Sheriff Gerard Pio, right? Watching their parents and their grandparents and their tios or tias um, being criminalized by a lot of these like right wing folks like Sheriff, Sheriff Gerard Pio. And what happened in 2020 is that the children of those immigrants, um, many of them now with the privilege of being able to vote and use their voice in a way that their parents didn't, um, voted, right? And they pushed out Republicans. And that's suddenly why you see, you know, Arizona flip in 2020. And then that's suddenly why you see someone like Carrie Lake defeated. You see Mark Kelly, um, you know, winning. And so I think that I always look at Arizona as, as, as the, the true power of like young Latino voters, right? These mm. are, these are, these are generations that have felt immigration that have felt what it's like to be criminalized um generations that understand like the importance of health care not just for them but be but because of their parents and their grandparents um generations that understand like the importance of economic stability right and, and like breaking barriers so like politics is personal um and they've showed it in 2020 in arizona and they, they showed it again in the midterm so it's that's a story that I always love to point to. And then, yeah, just like the stats tell you, every year, I believe, like over a million Latinos turn 18 years old um, in this country. We're the youngest demographic in the nation. And I think that's the true, that's the true power for the Democratic Party. Now, I think what makes it, you know, more complex is that many young Latinos more often, like increasingly are identifying as independents. Um, and that's simply because it takes it's it's going to take a lot more for them to vote for Democrats um, other than saying like, hey, your family has always been Democratic. Like you, you also have to do that. No. Right. They want to study the policies. They want to be persuaded. Right. They want to be inspired. They want good messages. Um, they're going to go out to vote for those values like versus just for the party brand. And I think that's like that's where it's going to get interesting and, and complicated. Interesting and complicated the way I like it. I mean, I think that we should have more conversations like this one. I mean, having a 20 over 20 minute conversation about the Latino vote in the midterms. Like, I don't I mean, other than your show, no. I don't know where else. You're it's because it's that. you. No, it's oh, no. <laughs> Well, that's you, what, you, mean, you're always setting the bar for us, man. So that's, well, it's I, I appreciate that. But I, I'm like, why are more people doing segments like this? Because I hate mm -hmm. every election cycle where they're like the white vote, the black yeah. vote, the Latino vote. And there's no nuance yeah. and there's no analysis. And then even after the fact, there's there's very limited analysis. I mean, there were some stories about the youth vote. But again, not the aspect of the youth vote where you factor in the fact mm -hmm. that Latinos are the youngest voting bloc in the country. And oh, wow, if, if there are a historic youth turnout. That probably means that there were young Latino voters turning out. Why is that? What were yeah. they doing? Why were they turning out? Yeah. What was the message? Like, I yeah. have a million questions and I want other people to be <laughs> asking them too. But I'm grateful to you, Paolo Ramos, um, for yeah, helping us um, answer some of these really important questions. I mean, this is the future of the country right here. We're talking about mm -hmm. it. Um, Vice That's Correspondent right. Telemundo and MSNBC contributor. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I'm going to see you on... Wednesday? Very soon, on thir Very Thursday. Very soon, because... Yeah, 
Wednesday, Thursday, wait. Friday, because we're going to be in Arkansas and Little Rock um, at the Clinton Presidential Center for the Women's Summit. And I'm really excited to see you in person for the first time in the whole pandemic, which is crazy. So, um, <laughs> so I'm getting on an airplane, double masked, and um, all the things yep. um, to come see you out there. So I am grateful to you for this conversation, and I'll see you soon. See you so soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Early Night Check-In for new episodes every weekday.